0: Welcome to the Alchemy of Success podcast. I'm Vince Fusco. In the last 15 years, I've done everything from stagehand to award winning director, husband and father of two, creative marketing expert, and professional growth and success coach. I specialize in helping people find their purpose, reach their goals, and realize their dreams, while building their confidence and self love to live a life at their full potential. This podcast is dedicated to the exploration of the human experience, the drivers of and the physical, mental and spiritual metrics we measure success by. From personal life stories to inspiring tales from special guests, we'll be sharing our journeys of success and what it is to us. My hope is that this show will serve as a source of personal inspiration to spark your curiosity and ignite your mind, body and spirit to your own brilliance. So you too can thrive in finding your own alchemy of success.
1: Everybody, hi, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Success. I'm Vince Fusco. I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm joined by Australian funny man, Australian master juggler. He's the best juggler I've ever seen. And I'm not the only person who has said that. Terry Easton from London Theatre One even said that about uh, about James. James Buster is the man I'm talking about. He brings the funny to the crowd in so many ways. He was trained at the world-renowned Flying Fruit Fly Circus in Australia and has been performing for more than 15 years. He was a finalist in Australia's Got Talent and is now a highly popular act on cruises worldwide and the holder of several world records. He's a popular star of panto and variety shows, receiving rave reviews wherever he performs, as recently as the star of the Chroma Pier show, one of the most prestigious shows in the UK, being the only remaining end of the peer show in the world. More recently, he has been shining a light on the arts industry and on how hard it has been impacted over the last 18 months. Entertainers nationally, globally, sharing their voice and story um, on the, the impact of COVID 19, not only to their professional careers, but to their mental health. Known him for about 10 years, and it's a pleasure to have him sitting in front of me today. James Buster, Welcome to The Alchemy of Success.
2: Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. And I can't believe it's been 10 years either. Like, it's it's crazy. That is crazy, right? We've been doing the Royal Adelaide Show for that long.
1: Well, we won't talk about how long Nancy and I have been doing it um, because She will kill me at how many years it actually has been, although I'm pretty sure she corrected me on her episode of the show. But, yeah, that's how we met. We had you there as one of our international guests, James Buster, juggling sensation, comedian, funny man, and I personally have the pleasure of getting to work with you every day when you're here. Um, But I guess for those who haven't seen your show, your act, tell us a little bit about it before I ask you to take us all the way back to how you ended up
2: here. No worries. So basically, I'm—I I, my title is a comedy juggler, um, but I like to kind of describe it more as hilarious antics and mayhem. Like if you've ever met me in life or you ever know me, like I'm a crazy and all over the place, a million miles an hour person. Um, and that is what I kind of do on the stage as well. But at two million miles an hour. Um, and lots of it doesn't make any sense. Um, lots of the jokes are kind of just for me sometimes. Um, lots of the skill and stuff I've worked on for years. But, yeah, if I had to describe myself, um, it would probably be um, too many energy drinks and too much energy. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think that's a very fair representation of uh, of the energy that you bring to the show. You are a masterful juggler of all sorts of things. I've seen you juggle I think basically anything within your arm's reach, including small children. Um, but these Guinness World Records, tell me and my listeners, what kind of records are we looking at? What do you hold?
2: So when I went to kind of get world records, I, I like the same as being on stage, like I like the quirky ones. Um, so I've got a world record for the most cans kicked over with a bare foot in 10 seconds. <laughs> um and what just, is what is that record like it's been so long ago i can't actually remember um but i think it was something like 40 cans or something my goodness um oh what was the other one the other one was the most animal no- i did it at the royal adelaide show that's right the, the most animal, animal noises <laughs> guest in a minute um and then uh the longest time going into actual more juggling stuff like the longest time juggling on a pogo stick, which I created the record because that's kind of like one of my signature tricks. Um, and then the most raw eggs juggled while hula hooping.
1: Wow, that's a big omelette. That's a big omelette. <laughs> but, James, your skill as a juggler is uh, incomparable in my opinion, but I've, I honestly only know three jugglers, so that's, that's good good odds for you. Where did your love for juggling or performing start? Take us back.
2: Oh, I mean, I just saw that there was so much money in juggling that I thought that I'd take it up and do it. Be <laughs>
1: <See>? Comedian <laughs> as know, well.
2: That's, that's why you go into entertainment, <laughs> Be be rich. Um, no, so basically when I was younger, when I was living in the UK, I was always into acting and drama and stuff like that. And my parents always told a story where, like, they were at a party once and I disappeared and they were trying to find me, and then they heard a whole bunch of old like, ladies like laughing and in a circle, and I'm in the middle, like trying to do magic, but it wasn't magic. It was awful. But <laughs> I'm in I'm in like a three piece suit, all dressed up, because I always, whenever I left the house, I'd always be in a suit. I had to leave in a suit. I had to be like the showman. But yeah, and then I, when I got older, I started getting into art and drama and stuff like that, and then I got into magic. Magic was my first love. But wow. I realised that I just wanted to know how it was done. I didn't actually want to perform it, so I'd buy the <laughs> trick and then go, oh, oh, that's how it's done. Oh. And then because I knew the secret, I, whenever I was performing it, I assumed that because I knew that the people I was performing it to knew, so I was like the worst magician ever. <laughs> I love it.
1: But I love how show ready you are leaving the house in a three-piece suit every time. <laughs> exactly. And you still and do. Then- you still wear a three-piece suit when you perform.
2: I do. I'm You're just, a gentleman. I, it's, it's, a, it's a different suit now, obviously. It's, <laughs> and then, yeah, then after doing all the acting and, and the magic and things, I just started to learn how to juggle at home. Um, I can't even remember who first taught me, but I just kind of started teaching myself. And then when I moved to Australia when I was 11, I got more into the juggling and kind of learned off online, watching like little GIFs on dial-up internet, moving around to see how Ooh. to do it and stuff. And, and then... Then I bought a unicycle and stuff and started riding a unicycle. It was quite an interesting time, though, because when I first moved to Australia, I I got severely bullied because I was English. um, I was tall, skinny, lanky, and I had a lisp. Um, And my name (laughs) has an S in it, so that wasn't helpful. Um, So basically, yeah, it was a really kind of hard time at school. And it's one of those things where I won't dwell on it too much because if it weren't for the people bullying me, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, yeah, absolutely. In a absolutely. way, it becomes one of those things about who's laughing now. So,
1: totally. Well, I guess like let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's such an interesting. Um, it's such an experience at that age when you are being bullied for anything, whether that be like your uh, the color of your skin, the tone of your voice anything uh, where you're from what your interests are um and i i relate in the sense of being a boy wanting to sing and dance at school used to get bullied for that um and mum used to always say you know the same thing like they'll you'll be laughing one day do you know what i mean like you've just got to keep going and and it's funny how when you say like if it wasn't for them i wouldn't be in this position so for you what was it that then clicked or what was it what drove you to pursue this from that experience?
2: I think that it was, at first it was it was a real hobby and things like that. And then I went through so many different things at school where I wanted to be a drummer or I wanted to do play guitar. And it was like with all these things, mum and dad would always be at home being like, go do your drum practice, go and do this, go and do this. But yeah. with juggling, it became a thing where i get home from school And they'd be like, go to bed and stop juggling. Um, (laughs) And they kind of, they realised that it was really, really my passion then. Um, And they knew that I was unhappy at school, but obviously they wanted me to have a good academic kind of education as well. Um, But then what kind of happened was that I started looking online to see um, where I could kind of go and do circus for like a work experience kind of thing. And... I found the Flying Fruit Fly Circus in Albury-Wodonga. So I wrote, wrote them an email and I was like, can I come do work experience? Like it wasn't the work experience for school, but I was like, I just wanted to go and do work experience. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And so I wrote to them and I'll go back on your question in one second, but I think that the, the biggest impact that I had was I got to, when I got to Albury-Wodonga where the Fruit Fly Circus is, it was all kids around my age running around doing circus tricks. And I was like, I'm in heaven.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm, now, I'm now normal like I'm not that kind of kid that is bullied I found like my people and yeah yeah that's the, the wrong phrasing or the wrong way to look at it because everyone's everyone's normal <laughs> but uh I found my home I found where I felt alive and I'd never felt that alive before um so going back on being bullied at school and things like eventually I was kind of taught by my parents like it, that again like same as you it's not going to stop like it, it And people bully because they have insecurities of their own or something going on in their life and things like that. So I understand that later in life now. But it was like, at the time, it was really hard. But once I found somewhere which was my dream, my home, and I felt like I was part of a family in terms of the circus... Um, yeah, I basically went to Albury-Wodonga and then I was supposed to stay there for a week, but I sent my parents a message saying, I'm not coming home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how, how old were you then, James?
2: Uh, I was like 14 then.
1: Wow. And so you just said, I'm not coming back. What? what well, happens?
2: Yeah. What's the response to that? I got a phone call saying, yes, you are. <laughs> 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 anyway, so yeah, I got back to Sydney and I basically kind of cried and just really pushed for my parents to like, let me go join. Um, And then we didn't even know if that was an option, Um, but I basically, I knew that it was what I wanted in my heart. And so I just fought for it and I cried many a time um, and convinced my parents that this is what I want to do. Um, And it's the best decision or the best thing that I've ever done in my life. So I
1: love that so much. I love the appearance then listened to you and nurtured that to ultimately lead you down this this career this very successful career that you have had over over 15 years like I mentioned at the top there um that's so important that's something that I'm really learning now I guess as a parent myself and thinking back on my parents and my upbringing I really think they did a great job like because I think it's the ability to listen to what your kids are saying or showing you um, especially in those younger years, like as you develop your passion for magic or, or juggling or whatever. And of course there will be phases of all sorts growing up where like, Oh, I'm into dinosaurs today. I'm into space this week and whatever. But when you find that thing that I guess doesn't go away to then allow the child to pursue that and and nurture that, you know, whether that means picking up and going to Aubrey Wodonga and going back to, to listen to your heart and where you felt most alive. I think that's the the best thing. So Listening to your kids, listen to what they show you in their interests and, and let them explore that. That's um, that's something I'm really enjoying at the moment. So you end up in Aubrey with Donga. Where do you go from there? As far as about 14, 15 years old, you're there at the flying fruit fly circus. That is like a Doctor Zeus. I know. I yeah,
2: should. I should that, be good say at it. That. That like ten times quickly. Oh my god! Good at I
1: should. I'm reading Fox in yeah. Socks every night these days. I should be. If you can super say
2: Irish it. wristwatch, you can say Flying Fruit Fly Circus. So,
1: Irish wrist. Irish wristwatch. There
2: you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where did it become a career? Like at what point as an adult from that? Like from 14, was it like you know if you're touring with them? For three years, do you then go, oh, okay, look, I'm 18 years old and I can actually turn this into a career. I'm going to make money from this and spend my life touring and, and doing this because touring's not easy. Like that's a big life choice as well. Like having done that for a, a number of years myself and then having the decision to go, well, like I, I don't, for me, I can't do that. I can't keep going in that way. That's a big decision. Do you know what I mean? So when did you make that call?
2: Yeah, I made the call uh, reasonably early um, because it was always like my it was always a hobby. I always saw it as a hobby. And then it got to the point when after doing so much touring and things with the Flying Fruit Fly Circus that I just fell in love with this feeling of adrenaline when you're on stage in front of an audience. And I'm like, this is home. Like this is what I just
0: need I did, cans yeah.
2: of. Like I need cans of this adrenaline. <laughs> and it's like, um, and so when I was about 15. I started doing my own shows on the side just to make an extra $100 or $200 and became reasonably well-known in Albury-Wodonga for, I used to call myself, I think it was Buster Juggler. That was my first ever professional, like, um, name. And I had business cards and I had, like, a sticker on the side of my car and, like, I had everything. I had a DVD, which i kind of send out for promo and stuff. That's sort of like...
1: The demo demo DVD. The showreel, yeah. yeah, 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 I love it, and
2: and yeah. So from really early on, it was something where I started making money from it. And then when I finished it, uh, the Fruit Flare Circus. When I was like nineteen, I, I I worked in I worked in Hogsworth Cafe, and I was just a um, barman. Um, that was that was the only real job that I've ever really had. I hate the, I hate that expression, real job, but normal or whatever, but we'll get back to that conversation but, <laughs> uh yeah i i went to hogspeth cafe is my normal thing and it got to the stage where i was getting more like can you come and do this gig for 500 because obviously when i got older like it, money went up a bit and things and then i was like but no but i can't do it because i have to work at hogspeth for three hours and i'm like well no okay this is the time that i kind of Put my foot down and get paid forty two dollars.
1: Get paid forty two dollars at Hog's Breath for your three hours versus yeah. the five hundred dollars that you, you're going to get paid for the the twenty minute spot.
2: Yeah, and and it was a hard slog, like to kind of do that. And then I started kind of really putting so much energy and marketing and everything out there to kind of get the bookings. And I started doing a whole bunch of street performing festivals. Um, and then uh, I made the call to go to Circular key and become a street performer there for a year. And then that's when my first kind of real international opportunity came up. And I went over to Japan and worked at a theme park for a year over there. And then I went to Club Med and taught flying trapeze <laughs> at Club Med Resorts. Um, I'm good. Because uh, why not? I want to live on a luxurious kind of awful. tropical island. <laughs> and,
1: and do what um, you love. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, and, and that's the thing, you know. This is probably one of those things where because you have to be passionate, I believe, to pursue a life in the arts, you you have to love what you do. And it doesn't ever feel like work. Do you know what I mean? Like we do it because we love it. Like you said, it's this adrenaline, the canned adrenaline you want to have. But it also then doesn't mean it's not hard work. Do you know what I mean? So, like, the hard work is all of the things that you've You've mentioned them all. You said, you know, I was getting the website up, getting those the demos out there, the DVD. It's the production of all of that, the time and the hours of that and refining that and then putting your name out there, the hustle of it. You know, that's the hard work, but the actual performance side of it almost feels easy. And to teach someone, you know, again, you're still practising your craft and something you love, passing on that knowledge to, yes, people who are going to be doing it for six days on their tropical holiday, but you also get to reap the benefits of that and live in paradise, so why yeah, no. not?
2: No, exactly. And I think it's one thing that, I mean, I'm sure that if you've had any other entertainers on this show that they've mentioned as well, but it's it's purely in the word show business. The show is the short word. because yeah. The show is the bit that in a way is the most minimal effort. The business is the longer part and it's the bigger part of show business because you have to have that marketing brain. You have to think outside the box in terms of, I had a whole bunch of friends at the time who were trying to get into the showbiz industry and it's like, but they're waiting for opportunities to come to them. And I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, you have no. to go out and you have to you have to find the opportunities or create them. So I just write to like the council and be like, you should book me for a show.
1: Yeah, you've got to put like, it out no there. Reason, no
2: reason, yeah. Like,
1: you've got to absolutely put it out there and, and and put yourself on that. Knock on all the doors that you can. It's like anything. Like I, I remember doing the same not only as a performer, but then professionally when I but this is now wind the clock back before I was in the role I was in. I'm currently in like in my professional uh, role, like that decision to be like, I'm going to enter back into the workforce. I was in a corporate role before like executive role. I don't want anything less than that, but that also takes a lot of effort. It's going to stifle my creativity, but I also like, I'm ready for that. But then again, like going for those jobs, was knocking like, not just looking at the jobs that are available, but, like, where do I want to work? Where do I want to go? What can I do? Where am I going to bring the most value and get that in return? And so it's the ability, like you said, to go out there and knock on the doors and say to the council, hey, book me because I'm amazing or this is what I can bring to your shows. This is what it's going to cost, but book me, you know what I mean? And if you're not out there putting flyers in letterboxes and creating awareness, and this is pre-Facebook, pre-social media, um do you know what I mean? Like you, you've got to do it. So whether that be professionally, creatively, in anything you want to do, put it out there. Put it out there. Give yourself that goal and put yourself on people's radars. Because if you don't, no one else will.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I used to, I used to think of, it sometimes as a waste of time because I'd be like, oh, I'd bring up my dad and be like, oh, I sent out a hundred emails and I only got like two responses, and he's like, yeah, but. Those two responses you wouldn't have got if you hadn't have sent those hundred emails out. That's two
1: more Thanks. than you didn't have, exactly.
2: Yeah, and those hundred emails have now made you three thousand dollars or whatever, and you go. So he's like, "That's a win for me." It's like a hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. And so with that, your with your your family, James, you mentioned, it, and and they they're not from the performing arts background, are they? No. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, then your parents and the environment in which like what lessons did you learn from them that then obviously helped you through this pursuit and of course like you you've already said that they were so supportive in all of the endeavors let alone today like still 100% in your corner what um when it comes to success or goal setting and and this pursuit for you what uh, what role did your parents play what did they teach you
2: Yeah, so my um it was quite funny like to introduce it because it's like my parents would like go to like business meetings and be like um my my daughter's a occupational therapist my other daughter's a marketing director from Pepsi and then my son's a clown um just <laughs> just kind of throw it in like that but yeah my dad my dad's in the corporate world um he's a cFO of like massive companies and mum's a, a she was a trained teacher but she's an artist so in that respect, it's kind of the different kind of two sides of the arts, really. With yeah, um, but in terms of, I think in terms of like lessons for success and stuff, like my parents always taught me from the start, and it's really obvious that that happened with how my life has gone. But is follow your dreams and believe in everything that you do, believe in your passions. Um, and one of the biggest things for success, like I said about the emails before, was that dad was like, if if something if something's out of your control then don't don't stress about it because if there's nothing you can do then there's no point stressing but if there is something you can do then find a way of doing it and like i said like the biggest thing that i got from my dad especially was about creating opportunities like don't find opportunities make opportunities <laughs> make something that hasn't existed beforehand and and make it your own. So write to people and say, why don't you do this? Or for me, it was like the same. Even this this year during COVID, it's been learning from dad. And dad's like, well, why don't you use like your skills in a new way that you never have before? And so I sat down and tried to work it out. And then I wrote to a whole bunch of companies and were like, well, I've got a blue screen at home, so why don't I film? your promo using my skills as a juggler because i'm no longer allowed to be on stage so why don't i take that skill that i have and move it into something that i'd never done before and that worked really well as well it's like it's it's in terms of becoming like a successful performer it's it's all that like you've pretty much said it anyway but it's the drive that you have to just keep going you can't let there be speed bumps or anything like that. You just go straight through those speed bumps and go, someone said a really good expression, which is, um, and it was to do with something else, but, and if they go, if you're going through hell, don't stop. And I really like that. It was like, because we do, we all go through these days when you go like, why am I, am I really doing the right thing by pursuing in this industry? And especially for me, when I was trying to fight to get onto or get an agent to get onto cruise ships, which was my dream part of the entertainment business that I wanted to work in. And getting just rejection after rejection. It's like you just, as an entertainer, you have to get so used to that because... You have to have a thick skin yeah.
1: very quickly and you have to understand when it's it's not as, as personal as it feels because it is such a um, critiquing role that we all play as performers in the sense of like people are looking for something very specific sometimes so as personal as it is that they're going to look and say no you're not right you have to understand the I guess the dispassion of them in saying well you're just not right for this do you know what I mean and but but nonetheless having somebody tell you repeatedly no 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 Good no, thank you. You're not right for this. You're not good enough, you're not tall enough, whatever the fuck it might be. Like anything, the more that you hear something or say something to yourself, it, it really becomes part of your, your thinking patterns. It becomes real. Do you know what I mean? So it it's it's it becomes unhealthy on some levels for a lot of performers as well. So when you're, I guess, attaining to that, like you said, and you're going through that, what are you what are you thinking, James?
2: Yeah, so it was. There was lots of kind of emailing randomly, like cold emailing agents and things trying to get in. And then, again, it was kind of going back to what I was saying about how dad's business kind of sent, uh, I took in. Because I suddenly went, well, no. None of these agents are responding because they're like, oh, have you done it? <laughs> so the weird thing was that when I started to try and look for cruise ship agents and stuff, they'd email me back and then be like, "Can you send me footage of you on a cruise ship?" And I'm like, "But that's what I'm trying to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of my
1: favourite things. That are like, if you read, if you've read my my documentation that I've sent you, you will have noticed that I don't have any experience. I'm asking for said experience, and it's so. How do you get experience without experience? That's something that I've I've always been such a firm believer in because of exactly the story you're telling. Having done that myself and as you've done and so many others, that's now when people come and ask me for experience, yes, yes, you can have it. I'll give you all of the experience. If you want to know what it's like being a lighting tech crew on something, yes, come and watch that. If you want to know what it's like being, you know, because if, if you can offer that experience now and give that back to somebody who was in your shoes, think of the difference that it would have had on you. Yeah? Yeah,
2: no, exactly. And it's so... I was getting those emails back, like rejections and stuff. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And so using my dad's business sense and stuff, or what he kind of taught me, the secret thing about, again, create the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in communication with um, quite a few jugglers who work on cruise ships. Um, and so I wrote to, um, like Pete Matthews was one of them, who is my my mentor, my idol, Um, And then another guy called Barnaby. And uh, then also there was a um, group, another group, names just gone out of my head, Howie and Bert. So I wrote to all of these people and were like, hey, I really want to get into the cruise industry. So I didn't ask, can you connect me to your agent? I was like, if there's any advice or anything like that that you could give me so I can prepare myself to get in, blah, blah, blah. And then I got a really good relationship with them. And then it ends up that Howie and Bert, Sent an email to their agent and went, You need to hire this guy. Seeing all the stuff on YouTube, he's great. And then I got in. But before that, it was just lots of rejection for a long time, which obviously kind of puts you down. But at the same time, I think that everything happens at the right time yes. for the right reason. I wouldn't have been ready if I had gone when I was initially kind of trying to get into the industry. So.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such a, a great learning um, through perspective and a great reflection Like for you to say that and go, well, I wasn't ready and I wouldn't have been. That's that's a big takeaway. So you get onto these cruise ships and you pretty much stay there and dominate cruising around the globe. For how many years has it been now? And I, I love, can I tell you, I think it's a privilege to be in your circles and your orbit some days when I get Friends and family who come back from cruise ships—they go, "Hey, we saw your mate James Buster on. Uh, it was great. We saw him. It was great to catch up with him." And or they send me photos of you and uh, and them having a great time, like so many other passengers around the world. How long has it been, or how long have you been working the ships for now?
2: If you include the last eighteen months, it's been like fourteen years. Uh, wow. Uh, let's say let's say like twelve years pre-pandemic so
1: but still that's a long time to be at sea I can't honestly think of anything worse but I get seasick um but I would love to know what what is that like for you being away from I guess like home being away from everything I guess when you are away for so long how do you go with that James and what kind of I don't know what what Practices do you have in place for yourself to keep you
2: going? So I've always been the personality type where I can't sit around and do nothing. Um, so that's always been something which I've kind of lived my life by. Um, I'll never let myself sit down because then I start thinking and I really don't like thinking um that much. So I I've always been used to being well working my ass off and being busy. So Mm Mm-hmm. I even when I was booking tours I want every day I want to do this festival then I want to go straight to this and I'm going to drive here and I've got to organize something for this and I've got to try and do marketing over here and I'm going to do this 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 and so when I got into the cruise ship life and it was like I'm going to fly here I'm going to do a show on this cruise ship right now I'm going to get off I'm going to fly to America and do a show over here oh now I'm going to fly to England now I'm going to do this but that was the life and the chaos that I loved yeah, and It's kind of something that even being on stage, like my show is chaos and I, I love the chaos of my life just being all over the place and doing this, this, this. Even like, you know, like when I did the Royal Adelaide show, like I couldn't just do the show. It's like I'd be emailing and ringing the media being like, let me just come on your show because I just need to keep like my, my calendar full. Like I have to, I have yeah, to always yeah. be doing something to, to push my, my industry, to push my kind of career that I just have to keep working at it. So to answer your question, that was that was when I was alive, like being busy and doing everything like this. And then when lockdown hit and uh, like I'd lost my job, which we'll get to, but it, that was weird for me. Was yeah. the sitting at home going, Oh, this is it was, I was like I always joke around and go like I got home and I was like, I realized I had a flatmate.
1: Um, <laughs> know, but that's, that's funny. It's funny because it's so true of tour life and living that lifestyle that you just described. I'm flying in, I'm flying out, I'm performing a show here. I'm going to fly straight from here. I'm going to get, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a crazy lifestyle. When we talked about touring earlier as well, and I said, like, that's a choice. Like it, it's a, it, it is a commitment. Like I, I agree with you in the sense of I love that pace. I love operating like that. I love when I'm at the helm of a show or a team or like just being creative. Like to me, that mayhem, there's pure sense in that, right? And then the other side of me, the homebody side of me now is really like, oh, gosh, like I don't miss that. I don't miss that feeling until I'm in it and then I'm like, it's go time. Do you know what I mean? But I guess like being on tour, like you said, to come home and be like, oh, I've got a mate. I didn't realise. Or, you know, you sit down and you go, has it always been this colour? Like I'm not here long enough to understand what it feels like. We You touched on it then, let's get to it because it is really the biggest pivot that you've had or the biggest right I don't know what you call it like the biggest bus crash the biggest roadblock to date which is the COVID-19 pandemic so 2020 saw the world shut down now this is not even just pertaining to us here in Australia but obviously from overseas to then be here where were you were you on a ship when this all started happening and how quickly did it go from being on a ship performing to being home and locked down and that's it?
2: So, yeah, I I pretty much um, had like the busiest year of cruise ships that I'd ever had booked in my diary and then we'd all heard about this COVID thing but we didn't know it was going to cause such a uh, car crash, like you said. So then, yeah, then the next day... Um, after having like the busiest year of cruising books and I was going to go all around the world, I was going to do shows in England. I was going to do all of these things. And then the next day that was gone. It was completely empty and I had, I had nothing. And so it, it, it was, a it felt like a, a loss of soul. It felt like a loss of identity really because like I was so used to, like I said, I was so used to that million miles an hour running around the world, doing this, doing this, doing this and being busy. And then suddenly bang, nothing. And you're like, Oh, okay, what do I do? And like I said previously, like I'm such a million miles an hour person, that I had those two days after, I think when we locked down and we're actually locked in our houses kind of thing. And I had two days when I was like really emotional and all over the place. And then it was again, phone call with my family. And it was like, they're like, you need to do something. And I'm like, okay. And so I just came up with this crazy idea. And I was like, I'm going to get an apple and I'm going to throw an apple around the world and see how many people catch on. Um, And then I had a project and I woke up every day with a purpose and it just grew and grew and grew. And I thought maybe 10 people would do it. Then it ended up that it was like 180 in the first video from 12 or 14 countries. But, that saved me again because I was doing something. I'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning and start editing, finish at 6 p.m., have like a proper kind of day. And I just, I've always got to keep my mind occupied. And I think that was one of the hardest things for losing identity, career, and trying to work out how we're going to deal with things financially because being in the gig to gig industry, like it's not as predictable as other industries. So,
1: mm. mm-hmm. but so you really do need that that focus like you said it gave you a purpose every day when it comes to the first instance of like we're going into lockdown like you said and we're locked in our houses and and it's gone everything just sort of vaporized and dried up overnight work-wise did you feel like it wasn't real what was your first thought I suppose did you think it was going to be like this for this long
2: oh I think my first thought was I've got a bit of a holiday like that was that was really, initially kind of I was like, all right, well I had been like, I think I just got back from Adelaide Fringe as well, so I had been like doing like three shows a day of trying to yeah. run around, like, and and it was like, okay, cool, all right, well, and it, the initial kind of stuff that we heard from the media and things was that it would only be a few weeks and stuff, and so I, I was like, okay, like I can, I can, I can deal, deal with that. With that. Um, I mean, everyone has kind of said and um, who I've spoken to is that, that everyone got to know Dan Murphy really well. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs>
1: definitely did. Everybody said t- I did. I definitely I drank so much more than I'd normally do. And I think that just comes back to the idea of if you're, you know, getting a bit stir crazy. Like I just found myself, I had no separation from work in the sense of like both, like I said, my wife and I working from home with a one-year-old in this six-week period where we did not leave the house but I'd like get off the computer turn to my left and we're home do you know what I mean there was no gap between to sort of download the day drive home or catch a bus or something it was just like we're here you know you wake up in the morning I'll just quickly start work a bit earlier today but then you find you're working all day and then it just mentally you go no I can't this is this is too much it's too much when My, my
2: sister my sister, right? Same thing as you were just saying, because you work home, everything becomes the same thing. And you're yeah. like, you can't we can't walk to work. And so my sister during the pandemic, she built a shed in her backyard as a shed office. So yeah. every day she wakes up in her house and then She separates it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And
2: then once she's finished work, she closes that shed door and comes back in the house, in the house, there is no business. Yeah. it's like, it got to the stage where I saw things on on Facebook and online because it did drive us all crazy where we, we were at work or not. And there was no work hours anymore because of. Yeah, totally. and And, and so people started like putting like, like moving their bedrooms around, to make <laughs> make an office that we never had before and things. It's like my office is just in my bedroom, but I've yeah. got a proper big desk and it's taking up a lot of space. But I needed to have my. I'm going to go to work now. Right, hundred oh, percent. Yeah, the lounge room and I'm yeah. in the lounge room.
1: We I'm started. We've got we've got like a study nook, like a built-in desk upstairs, um, in like a quite an open space, and a bit of a thoroughfare. And We started there for the first couple of weeks when we were both working from home side by side. And it was like, no, nah, this is too hard with a baby. And like, we're both taking phone calls. And so I moved downstairs and we used downstairs. Like, this is our study slash home theatre room, which has just never eventuated to a theatre. It's now a study, but I'm like, yeah, stand up desk, spare bed. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, but it's, it is a separate space. So we we found that this was like our meeting room. If we both had to come into a meeting, we'd come and separate from like upstairs. Um, but now, yeah, like I, I go to work in the morning and I say goodbye to everybody. Like I'm jumping in the car and I'll walk downstairs and then I'll, I i do not see anybody until five o'clock when I go back up. So it's, um, you know, it's a weird world that we live in though, isn't it? Like it's, I think what your sister's done is a great example of a bit of ingenuity and in separating the two in such a small space. If you had said 18 months ago, <laughs> James, you're going to get 18 months off. What would you if that was a gift. Is there a world where 18 months off for you is a gift?
2: Uh, give me one second to think about that uh, because I need to plug my laptop in.
1: Okay, no worries. Have a think.
2: <laughs> Hi, welcome back. Do, uh, where is 18 months a gift? Um, do I would I see it as a gift? Having, well, like having
1: worked for 12 years straight, right, and, again, not in a... Not in a what I think a normal or let's say, not say normal, because again, normal is a shit word because it's only limited to your experience for anybody. But let's say for the average person who works a nine to five and at a normal pace, of which you've already said you do not operate at that pace, you are a million miles an hour in all senses of the word, day to day, you need to be focused on something. So after 12 years on cruise ships and working and performing and having a great time, of course do you think 18 months off sounds like a like to me that sounds like heaven if someone said 18 months off although that's with the assumption I have a financial backing also
2: <laughs> well yeah no and I think that's the case like if like if I was like oh 18 months off no like because I I get my well like my life my passion my love my my adrenaline that I get on stage like that's kind of the thing that we as entertainers live off is the applause from the audience. It's the feedback from the audience. It's making someone's day who's had a shit day and it's mm-hmm. making, make, we've just made their day. Like the amount of times you do a show and you hear afterwards that but like, I've just been diagnosed with cancer and this is the first time that I've laughed since being diagnosed or you've just saved me or like, it's just the amount of, the amount of, the amount that entertainment does for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, eighteen months off. Like, no, it's like I just want to get back on stage. I just want to perform, um, because, like we kind of have previously said, it's that I think entertainment is one of the only jobs that everyone. We don't go into it for the money. We don't go into it for the paycheck. We go into it for the love, and I think that. Um, that's the thing is that entertainment, we go to work and we love it. You never go to a gig and go, Oh, I really don't want to do this. Like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Because
1: sure, you might get to a gig and be like, I really don't have it in me tonight. But as soon as you're on that stage, you're on. You're on. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I don't know, it's hard, it's, to, it, it's hard to explain if you're not a performer, but I know exactly yeah, well, what you are saying.
2: <laughs> it, I think, I think the easiest way to explain performance is it's like, it's where we feel home. Like, that's yeah. the biggest thing, is it's where we feel home. It's also, it's also I don't know, like, it's, it's an addiction. And it is an addiction. Component. It is. And it's, and it's like, it, but being on stage and getting that response, that's our drug. Like, that's our...
1: That's the reward. That's the payoff. 100%. Yeah. The applause and the, the respect of the acknowledgement of what you've done is 100% the payoff. That's what we crave. Yeah. I always so, said, I can't, I'm just trying to think of who it was who told me but I used to sort of just, there was a, I guess like most artists when you're starting out as well, like you just take every job you can, you know what I mean? Because you don't know when mm. the next one's going to come. And then until you can hopefully build to a point where you are in a bit more control of your career, where you can say, oh, look, I'm not going to do that one. Or I'm going to pick and choose or choose your timing and your pace. But one of my many mentors, I'm sure, said to me, there's three things and it has to serve two out of the three for me to do it it has got to serve the bank it's got to serve my heart and it's got to serve my soul so if it's got to serve two out of those so if it's like a passion project it's heart but if it you know if it's a passion project and it has a small financial reward two out of three would do it if it is something that stimulates my soul feeds my creative soul but it makes me feel good and and serve somebody else but there's no financial benefit two out of three let's do it do you know what I mean like like you said it's not about the money it's about so much more than that. It's a, it's a different type of reward. With your time off and you turned your, your skills to other things like throwing apples around and, and YouTube videos and such, you then went far further than that and you understood on a much greater level, James, the impact that this was having for so many artists all around the country because you were going through this exact same thing. Whilst we're all sharing in this experience, you then connected A number of artists on a a project that you put together that ultimately has garnered so much attention and a bit of momentum let's talk about the video and let's then talk about canberra
2: so so yeah basically at the start of the pandemic like i said like i needed something to keep myself busy and so the first thing was just it was just a a gimmick of an idea about throwing an apple around and just clever editing um, of a whole bunch of people catching on but from doing that, what I didn't realize was that it was it was helping other entertainers' mental health as well, um, because it was making them do something when they had no, we had no drive to do anything because we had no shows, and so so many people were just sitting at home and 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 kind of watching the hours go by and, and counting the bricks in the wall because it's just it was so strange for our industry just to disappear and for all of what we saw as our career to be gone, so from doing that first video. And again, I was doing it completely. That one was completely selfish. It was like, I just need to do something. And so I thought that maybe 10 people would get involved. It ended up like 14 countries, 180 people or something like that. It was, it was amazing. And it was a big kind of editing job, but it saved people. And it was after that first Apple a Day video where someone wrote a press release about it for me. And they said, entertainers have been stripped bare of gigs and they literally have nothing on. And then, for the first time in the whole of the lockdown, that artistic side of my brain came back. And I went, that's the idea. We strip bare of gigs, we have nothing on. And so I started this series online called the Strip Bear series, where it was entertainers in their birthday suits.
1: Sitting um, in the nude. Yeah. yeah <laughs> You're on a podcast, you don't have to sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, sit and, and say there's in the nude and really just doing a full frontal approach at the effects that this pandemic has had on the entertainment industry yeah. and with a message as well. And so some of them were funny messages. One of them was a uh, airline safety announcement, but we changed it all to be about the entertainment industry and the lack of support it was getting from the government and things like that. And so then suddenly I just, my creative brain, I was writing scripts, I was writing comedy, I was doing all these things again, which were ultimately helping me, but at the same time, they were helping other people, and mm-hmm. I'm like, "This is a, it's a, it's a great two-way kind of street." It's like I'm saving other people and keeping them busy and keeping them creative. Now, and then I just kept doing collaboration videos, and I just became yeah. this collaboration kind of—I um I don't know what the word is—king machine, king machine, king. That way, but machine yeah, <laughs> a but mogul. I just started collaboration about, yeah.
1: mogul.
2: <laughs> and the initial ones of like apple a day, there was no real story apart from an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But then after that. They became funny but with a really powerful message um, to try and help our industry. And then more people kind of within the industry and lots of people who were in the videos I hadn't even met before. Like we literally just met online but because I'd made this community of people who wanted to create and do collaborations, Mm -hmm. um, it's great. And so from being home and you look at all the negatives and things but it's connected me with new people, It's, it's helped me find myself and grow up as an adult as well it's helped me find new opportunities it's helped me keep myself sane in a world that i didn't think i could um and then yeah so getting on to like the latest video the latest video because i've done all of these collaboration videos the latest one was it's been 18 months pretty much what we just spoke about it's like it's been 18 months we still don't have any support From anyone, really. Um, Sports seems to get the kind of hierarchy and get exemptions and things. So I made a video and it was just, I did 30 hours of interviews with entertainers from around Australia and just asking them how it's affected them, how this whole last 18 months in the pandemic has affected them emotionally, financially, mentally. And it (coughs) it it was a really hard not hard, hard to wrong, it was a really emotional journey for me to do it because I realised, why has it taken me 12 months to talk to this person that I used to see on a ship all the time? Like, why Why wasn't I talking to them more regularly through the pendant? And the answer is that all of our mental health and everything has been going up, down like roller Absolutely, absolutely. And, we didn't, sometimes you don't feel like talking to people and things like that, but in terms of doing these interviews and making this latest video, which is, I don't know what the definition of viral is, but it's definitely doing the rounds. Um, so it's it was a very, and this one, there's no comedy in it, there's no script, it's just pure power, raw emotion coming from entertainers and it was like I said it was hard to do the interviews it was I broke I broke down when I was doing interviews to people because they were breaking down on the other end of zoom because people don't realize how much this pandemic has affected the arts
1: yeah yeah well not just the arts but the individuals at the end of the day it all comes back to the point that we are all human beings and everyone is feeling and struggling with things especially this pandemic like you know you said earlier when we talked about the first lockdown and sort of two days in, you sort of you sat and sort of cried at the magnitude of it. it. It's a traumatic event. A lot of us are still trying, I think, to understand and process the impact it's had on us. But for these performers that you've that you've interviewed and shared their stories, and it's just the tip of the iceberg um, for performers all around the country and the globe. But like you said, they're breaking down because it's it's a whole loss of identity and without knowing who you are it's a very daunting place. It can it can really take you down a quite a dark path. On the last couple of episodes I've discussed questions about like knowing who you are and what you want, and you can't answer one without the other. You don't know what you want if you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know, you know, what are your values? What are you standing for? What do you believe in? It's a it's a a pointed question for so many to to ask. And I think for people who were in a safe, secure industry, To then have all of that stripped away on a professional work front is one thing, but when it is so intertwined with your self-identity, it's a totally different game we're actually playing here. So when you say that we are left without support as a community, we're saying not only financial support, yes, there are some mental health um, resources available, but it's it's not enough because like you said, it doesn't pay the bills and the bills are the stress of most people's day-to-day lives. Especially when you've got no money coming in, you went to Canberra and you spoke with the arts advisor. Can you tell us a little bit about what that conversation looked like, sounded like, and what it ultimately what did it mean for you?
2: Canberra was completely different to this video, but so I went to I, I got I got invited by Carnival Australia to go to Canberra uh, last month. To was it last month? How long were we in a lockdown for? Last month. Forever. <laughs> But about approximately a month ago, in COVID time, um, I yeah I got invited by Carnival Australia to go and um, speak at Parliament because we're trying to get a restart of domestic cruising um, and just on a domestic level of in and out of Sydney, in and out of Brisbane, not going anywhere. But they, they were kind of P&O Australia's most popular cruises, really, yeah. like comedy cruises and stuff. So went to Canberra and we spoke. We all got a chance to speak, and it was quite funny. We all wrote speeches, um, and then last minute, and it was myself and other delegates of the industry or representatives in terms of people who make their sole income from looking after the cruise ship's kind of welfare, people who are cruise ship-specific travel agent, um, people who have the farm that supplies all the food to the cruise ship, but now they've had a farm for 18 months that's supplying food to yeah no one. like. So it was all of us, and we all wrote speeches, and then we decided last minute before we spoke in front of Parliament, we went, we all just threw them out, and we all spoke from the heart. And it's it's the biggest thing is like as soon as you put put emotion in front of, and like you just mentioned it before, real people, like you put a real person in front of the government and go, this is who is being affected, yeah, or just one of those people who is being affected, and I literally broke down. Everyone else pretty much broke or croaked. Um, in terms of nearly crying um, because it's our livelihoods that are being played with. And mm-hmm. the response that the government gave to that afterwards was very, um, very understanding. And they, they basically, I remember one person said to me, oh, it's amazing, like you don't realise who it's affecting until you actually see them in person and things, or the, the effects that just close going, no, Australia can't have any cruise ships in how much that causes so other, many other businesses friction. It's like if I've, I understand because I'm in that industry um, mm-hmm. and I know yeah. all the people who are affected, but it's if I looked at a different industry that I'm not in and go, oh, well, like, what's the problem? Like, I understand that there's always, you need to kind of know about it. And so that yeah. was a good thing. But um,
1: one of the things you just said is, is something that like, I think a lot of people maybe suffer from it without knowing it. And then there are people who just are like that, which is you don't really realise it affects somebody until you see it in front of you. <laughs> and that's not even just about this circumstance. That's like anything. You know what I mean? That's where empathy is so important or the, the open-mindedness to listen to another human being or another person, whatever their struggle, um, and to, to go, well, yeah, it might not be a problem for me. But it is a problem. That problem does exist. I don't you shouldn't need to be shown it sometimes to uh, to understand or want to fix it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. and then like you said, it's oh it's one person in front of you telling you that story, but multiply that by the hundreds of thousands affected, that's a big chorus. Do you know what I mean? Um yeah. you don't need that one person to come to Canberra to stand in front of you to to make a wave if you're actually listening.
2: No. Well, it's one of those things where it's something that we shouldn't have had to do, but in the end, like we said from the start, you have to create opportunities, and so Carnival created the opportunity to go and speak to Parliament, but it was the same as I shouldn't have needed to make the latest video that I did of entertainers kind of crying out and showing how much has affected them right? and showing their vulnerabilities and things. I shouldn't have had to do that, but unfortunately, it's got to the stage where it's needed. Um, yeah, absolutely. putting a face to an emotion is so much more powerful. Um, and so that's kind of a lesson that I learned when I was speaking in Canberra to Parliament to doing in this video, was that you put that real person in front of them. You can't not feel for them. You can't not understand. Um, originally, yeah. the video was going to be an article, but then that's just something that people read and then kind of throw out. But this is something that is now... Implanted on the internet until
1: until the end of time my friend the internet's yeah. forever
2: the dinosaurs can watch it
1: <laughs> yeah that's right absolutely so with all of this being said James this is an extraordinary journey that you've literally taken myself and my listeners on your career path to not only them being an advocate for the arts and performers nationally globally what does the future look like for you what does what's your next step?
2: My next step is that i've I've realized from doing all these things um, and doing all these videos and kind of becoming like you said somewhat of an arts advocate i'm going to keep doing that like I really enjoy and enjoys the wrong word because you shouldn't have to do it, but I do enjoy it i really I enjoy the challenge of trying to make change and no. I enjoy. The challenge of helping entertainers and it's, it's it's even the fact of just someone needs to do it and i'm like i i now i'm like i i want to keep doing it and i'm not going to stop fighting for the industry until we have somewhat of a uh, meaning or um uh, essentiality to the government um because i mean the biggest thing for me and the reason i started making like half the videos was that I mean, we, we haven't had much arts art support support for the arts in general, um, because we when when entertainment got combined with transport and infrastructure five years ago, I think that was Australia going. This is what we think of the arts. Um, so, but in terms of future, I'll keep doing videos. I'll keep being somewhat of a um, advocate for the arts and, and keep projects going out because that's what I, that's who I've realised I am. Um, and at the same point. I will try and create opportunities and I will keep going at what I do. Um, I'm not going to give up. Like I, I'm i just going to keep pushing through. Um, I literally, this is what I do and I am not going to retrain to do anything else. This is what <laughs> I do. Um, so uh, yeah, if you... Um, it comes back to yeah. like, it's
1: funny, everything that you've just said is, is so true to you. I love it, but it's all I could think about you know, when you say you're going to keep going with the advocacy, which I hope you do because you're doing a kick-ass job at it, man. And, and obviously, like you said, the, the performing, you know, create the opportunities where you can. And, and enjoying the challenge of making change is not a small task for one to put upon themselves. But I, all I can actually keep harping back to is your dad saying to you, if it's out of your control, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. But if you can make a change... Find a way to do that. If you can do something, find a way to do it. So, I think you are absolutely living to that, um, as far as finding a way to do something that you can control and make a change, no matter how small it is. You're seeing the uh, you're seeing the impact that you're making, and I'm I'm so thankful that you're doing it, as I know so many are. Um, James Buster, thank you for your time today. Before I let you go, I have ten questions that I finish every single uh, episode with actually before I go there before we even get there James tell me is this what you thought success would look like or feel like
2: no but I don't think that you can predict success and even even it's quite funny because again I I sent a message to my family the other day being like oh I wish I could do more I don't feel like I'm I'm doing enough and and they were like, like, go easy on yourself. So, like, you've been so successful in everything that you do, and they're like, 100%. we're so proud of you every time, so proud of you. But I don't, I think, because we're all the biggest judge on ourselves. But if I look back over the past eighteen months of what I've done, then yes, by God, that is success.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. What advice would you give to anybody? Um, I don't know. Do you have a golden nugget tip of advice that you love to that you live by?
2: I don't really I think that you should do what you do and do it well and keep driving yourself. I think the thing is that people get bored in industries and things like that or they get bored in job or bored in life and it's like but if you don't create the opportunities then you're it's not you're not going to it's not going to help. Like if you if you complain about kind of being unfit but you don't go for runs, then why aren't you going for runs? Like if you, you do nothing, off, yeah, it? exactly.
1: Yeah. You can't complain. If you're doing nothing, if you're putting in zero effort or making an attempt to change something, you can't yeah. complain about it. That's that's plain and simple.
2: Yeah, I think my advice like, would be that if, if, that like you just said, it, it goes back to dad kind of sentiment, but it's like if you – can't change anything or you don't have the power to control something find that power because there's always a way like even in terms of this latest video of the art stuff that i've done mm-hmm. i can't change anything but by doing what i'm doing that's creating change
1: exactly exactly 100 percent. james buster you're a superstar let me run these 10 questions past you i'm very excited to hear your responses to these i've looking forward to it all right <laughs> What is your favourite word?
2: My favourite word? Abacus. Oh, brilliant word. Can you tell me why? Because you can count on it.
1: Oh, my God, you're so funny. <laughs> you're so <laughs> funny. What is your least favourite word? Can't.
2: Yeah. No, can't, because I, I don't like people who say I can't do this. It was like, but I can do it, but I just haven't tried it. So I think that,
1: yeah, I love that. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
2: Oh, camembert cheese. Really? Yeah, it it makes me. I have a bit of cheese, and it makes me go a bit giggly.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> makes me go. <laughs> All
1: right. Okay, that turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally. Camembert cheese. I've never heard that answer, and I'm, I'm here for
2: I it. Know, I don't know if I want to keep it either, but I, I. what's no, turns me on Spirit, oh. yeah. okay, keep it. Keep it. It's fine. I'm okay, here for go it. Go I'm for
1: it. here for it. Yeah. This is the safest space you're ever going to be in, James. <laughs> what turns you off?
2: What turns me off? Negativity, really. I think. I think that there's always uh, it, there are negative things, but I think it's that whole expression of like the person next to you is going through such a harder journey than. You know yeah. about kind of thing. So. Yeah.
1: What is your favorite curse word?
2: Well, it's not many to choose from, really, is it?
1: I mean, there's, there's a top. There's a top three, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, I think a good like a fuck is just a good powerful word. So, oh, look,
1: I totally agree. To me, that's my favorite yeah. word yeah. and curse word because it's just so versatile. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? The ocean. That makes sense. That checks out. Although, I, I, is it loud on a cruise ship? Is that a stupid question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know now. Like when you're on a ship, do you hear the ocean or do you just hear the ship?
2: I don't know. I've got a question. It depends, depends how many waves there are. Up.
1: I look forward to the day that I get to go on a cruise ship. What sound or noise do you hate?
2: Oh, car horn.
1: Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
2: That's a good question. That's a really good question.
1: Stumped you. Absolutely knocked you for six there.
2: I can't answer that question.
1: Nothing. There's nothing you would rather you want to attempt. I love that. What profession would you not like to do?
2: Oh, government for
1: sure. 100%. Okay, last question. It's a big one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
2: What are you doing here?
1: <laughs> what are you doing
2: here? Perfect.
1: Perfect. I love it. James Buster, thank you for your time. Thank you for your story and all the work you are doing. It's been a pleasure having you here on The Alchemy of Success. If you'd like more information on James Buster, go to James Buster. That's with an A, Bustar, rcom JamesBuster.com, and you can check him out on the socials at James Buster of the same spelling on Instagram. James, I can't wait to see you in the flesh. Got a big hug for you. Perfect. All right, brother. So
2: lovely to catch up. I'm sending you big hugs and I love you. I love you too. Yeah.
1: I'll see you very soon.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: To continue the conversation, suggest a topic, a guest, or if you'd like to share your success strategies and journey, then connect with me in the podcast on Instagram. At the real Vince Fusco. See you there.